welcome to Anonicast, a podcast where thoughts matter and judgments don't. Today's episode is going to be a little different than the other episodes because uh, the kind of conversation we're looking to have called for a change in format. The last couple of months in entirety have been really challenging globally as well as locally. The nature of issues around us may differ. However, one feeling that we all have in common is the feeling of uncertainty. What we understand from this is that there is no single person who is better equipped or let's say better prepared to deal with the vast ranges of emotions that we're experiencing right now as the lockdown took all of us by surprise. Now in times like these, what we consider as the normal or the routine has been redefined in all senses. To adjust to changes like these can be so tricky and this is when each one of us resorts to our own ways or coping mechanisms in dealing with feelings of anxiousness. There are just so many questions. How do we hold spaces of empathy for others when we're drained with emotions ourselves? And for those who are working from home, how do we ensure work doesn't permeate boundaries because there aren't any set working hours anymore? We've heard so many instances of personal spaces being violated by family members, uh, knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. And so to get these answered, we thought there was nothing better than coming straight to the source. So here we are in conversation today with a mental health professional. So, so quickly throwing the first question to you, how do you think this, uh, this has taken us by surprise? And really, you know, how do you feel we have taken and dealt with this situation mentally? So usually we are, as humans, very well equipped to deal with any kind of imminent threat and imminent danger, right? For example, we were supposed to be hunters and gatherers. We were supposed to live in jungles and caves. So if I encounter a wild animal right now, I can either fight the wild animal or flee away from the wild animal, right? But when the threat to us is presented in a way or in a form of uh, a virus, then all our responses that are so inbuilt and that are so strong in terms of fighting an animal or in terms of fleeing an animal, they all go out of the window, right? I can't fight this virus as much as I want to and we can't flee away as much as we want to. And that puts us into the third kind of response, which is freeze. It makes us feel very helpless and very uncertain, very anxious. We we completely understand and from minute to minute, we can really feel the fact that we are under threat that our lives are not safe, that our families are not safe, our communities are not safe. But not being able to do something about it is the worst part of it. So having a struggle is very natural, right? Ever so often we go through so many uh, difficulties in our lives. But as long as we can take action, that is when the human being, any human being can recover, right? And that is what we sort of refer to as there are so many people who will come out of this with some form of growth. So there will be people who will what we call experience post-traumatic growth. But so many of us are going to have post-traumatic stress. So what I really think is as a community, we are doing the, the best that we can. But there are more steps that we could take in order to protect our mental health and our community's mental health too. Absolutely. So talking on a personal front, uh, you know, we were all used to doing our jobs. We were we used to we used to venture out of the house. A lot of our parents used to be working. Some from home. Some some had jobs. Some traveled. But you know, this the time has been such that everybody has been stuck at home constantly in each other's company and for a very prolonged period of time. 
so what i want to ask here is do you think there is something like an overtime to family time do you think there's there's only a certain uh, amount of you know that that continuous family time that somebody can take and how do you think that's impacting somebody who's not used to having everybody at home and that's such an important question i'm glad that you're asking that so maybe i can explain it with the help of an example so usually doctors recommend that uh, up to 2 liters of water intake in form of direct h2o that you can drink or some sort of moisture content that comes with food is okay but let's say if i start drinking like 6 liters of water that's not going to be very healthy for my mind or for my body right and in a similar fashion like you said is there an overtime to family time absolutely because beyond a point of time i'm going to be frustrated my family members are going to act out whoever it is that i'm living with currently during the lockdown it's going to be suffocating to live with them so it is ideal to have some sort of boundaries in terms of time in terms of space for example it would be wonderful to be able to have the privilege of a room that i can come in and out of as and when i want to so let's say if me and my family members have decided that during the day we will share two meals together let's say lunch and dinner and or maybe we can also cook together those meals but apart from cooking and having those meals we will spend our time in our own rooms that's a very good way to have some sort of safety and some sort of personal me time personal work time where there's no interference of our family members and i don't know if you when counted this but i definitely have where my family member has walked on when i am having a meeting or let's say they need to access something in the room but right. i need to use the room for work and having such incidences where people are you know crossing those boundaries and you're feeling embarrassed when you're having like having like a zoom call or when you're having your own uh, skype meeting it can be very you know once once in a while maybe it's okay but if it happens repeatedly where your boundaries are violated even by absolutely loving family members it is going to get to you especially after what maybe 3 3 and a half months of a lockdown uh what i want to ask here or rather you know if i can share a personal observation from what i saw at home uh, also is uh, so you know initially when the lockdown was announced uh, everybody was trying to contribute into uh, you know what was what was going on around the house nobody wanted to disturb the balance in the house disturb the vibe in the house so people were uh, you know everybody in the house was really very mindful of the things that they were doing you know trying to carefully and uh, maintain the balance in the house but do you think somewhere gradually because of this time and you know because it's now already been like 3 months people are now running out of that you know that effort in order to maintain the calm in the house and people are sort of acting out how do you think we should all deal with this right so what i can ask you to do is imagine a cup right now imagine if all of us have our own personal cups sometimes our personal cups are full right so for example if my personal cup is full of water and someone else in my family needs water i can offer it to them but when my personal cup is empty which is going to be so obviously empty after 3 months of not having uh, adequate self care adequate me time adequate uh, surrounding nature time adequate mindless time right for example like so many of us used to travel mindlessly for at least an hour in the train and that used to be our time to dissociate from rest of the world 
And when we don't have that, our cup frequently becomes empty because I am interacting more with my family members. I am doing more household chores than one might typically be used to, right? And also, have you also noticed that your Zoom calls are lasting longer than usual? Right. Because whenever we are having an audiovisual method of communication rather than direct face-to-face communication, we are more likely to go through uh, you know, extra time to understand the other person. So it does empty our cup more frequently and doesn't fill our cup soon enough for us to have the mental and physical bandwidth to help around in the household with whatever the other person may need in terms of emotional support or in terms of chores or in terms of just getting things done, getting groceries, running the errands it is going to be more difficult to do for everyone. So like you said, although we may have the intention, it's absolutely possible that we may not have the bandwidth to do it at this point during the lockdown because we haven't actually prioritized our mental health and our physical health during these last couple of months. And it does take a toll. It takes a heavy toll on us when we compromise on our cup. Right. Uh, you know, now that you mentioned that uh, we see our Zoom calls lasting longer, what I realize is even our uh, phone calls, for that matter of fact, you know, the people that we didn't get in touch with for so long uh, are now getting in touch with us. And even these calls are not, you know, you, you tend to have lengthier conversations than you usually did. Often in this process, what I see happens is you end up opening up to somebody or, you know, the other person ends up opening up to you because they feel like, you know, somebody is listening to me. So why not open my mind out to them? What I want to know here is, do you feel like, you know, something needs to be said about friends and family being considered as support systems? And you know how a lot of times necessarily, we don't pay a lot of attention towards the emotional availability of the other person before opening up ourselves to them. I absolutely love how you brought up the concept of emotional availability. And, and that leads me to talk about something called emotional consent, right? For example, like you said, if, if I or someone else uh, in our audience has a friend calling them and we want to talk, we really want to engage with friends that we haven't kept in touch with in a long time, but they end up oversharing and they end up talking about things that we really weren't ready to talk about without giving us a trigger warning it's going to leave us feeling more tired, more exhausted. I've also noticed that I definitely tend to have headaches towards the end of conversations. And for other people, like maybe you can also quickly tell me what are some bodily effects you see before I finish answering the question. Bodily effects as such, if you ask me, I feel like a lot of times, you know, sometimes it feels like when the call initiate, when when somebody initiates that call, I was in a different mind frame. But you know, uh, as by the time we come to the point of ending that call, because I wasn't ready for that conversation, or because somewhere I felt like I didn't have the place for that conversation, it puts me out of perspective. Uh, you know, it puts my mind into two two different places that I didn't uh, anticipate me being in. Absolutely. So you feel more distracted and you end up saying yes when you actually wanted to say no, right? And that is what I meant by emotional consent. So just like before initiating any kind of intimacy, we ask for consent and only yes means yes. Maybe means no, 
right? So let's say if a person says, maybe I want to talk about something, that means they are not sure whether they are up for that conversation. And it's better to not have that conversation because it might end up triggering them, right? Because recently we are listening a lot about deaths and about passing away and about suicide. And when these conversations are constantly in the news cycle, uh, in our Instagram profiles, in our feeds, on Facebook, in the newspapers, of course, we read it there. And that's all we have to discuss with our family members and friends. And then when that is constantly on our mind, even when you're working actively, it will play in the background of your brain, right? Almost like a white noise. And it draws so much on your energy that you end up having more unpleasant, draining conversations than pleasant conversations. And hence, I do think that I would encourage everyone to think about, are you consenting to this conversation? And in fact, right now, you could actually ask yourself, are you consenting to listen to uh, this podcast that you're listening to? And how much do you want to engage? How mindfully do you want to engage? How purposefully do you want to engage? So as you're scrolling your Instagram, as you're scrolling through your YouTube, please check in with yourself. Is this really nurturing you is this filling your cup in any way because sometimes we tend to do these mindless things we tend to say yes when we mean no to our friends because we think we can take it but towards the end of the conversation all we feel is frustrated and probably even hatred towards the other person when we are scrolling through our instagram we end up feeling like i did that for an hour and i didn't even realize that i was doing that and i don't even know what i gained out of it right was it mindless? Absolutely. But did it help me? Was it, uh, did it make me feel good or great? Most likely not, right? Because the feed is more or less likely, likely going to be very similar to what you saw three days back. Mm-hmm. So limiting the amount of sharing that you're doing with friends, family. And, and I do believe that Instagram sharing is also sharing. At Facebook stories and WhatsApp stories, every kind of social media content that you consume, limiting that is also going to help you fill your cup. Uh, and it will help you be more present in the conversations that you're present in, right? So otherwise, what will end up happening is like you said earlier, even if I'm on the call, I will be distracted and I will be in two places. And whoever I'm talking to is going to sense that. They're going to know this this person is not fully paying attention and they will also end up feeling irritated. Although actually my intention is to be there for them. So you end up not benefiting yourself and the person that you're talking to or engaging with on on social media. Right. I think this this puts a lot of perspective into, you know, how we handle these calls. But as a follow up, what I want to ask you here is now as a layman, if, if I do have the intention of listening to somebody event or, you know, listening to somebody rant and if I, if I want to make the other person feel better, how do you think and how far in the process do you think we as laymen can go, you know, in the process of helping somebody out mentally? Uh, what do you think we can do on such calls? If, of course, we have the intention and the energy and the emotional availability, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think there are a couple of very important questions to ask. First is, what does this person need from me? And how long are they going to expect this need to be fulfilled? Let's say you have the emotional availability and the bandwidth and the intention today. 
but tomorrow you have an important meeting li- lined up at 11 a.m. and they call you at 10:55, right? So then what are you going to do? So understanding that if you engage with this person today, that you are of course very nicely supporting them. You're being a great friend, or you're being a great supportive partner. You're being a great supportive family member. But tomorrow, if they need you, are you going to be able to be there? If not, then are we crippling them in some way, right? Because we are sort of hooking them onto something, and we're not really going the full way that they need us to. So if they're going to need repeated support, is this a situation where a professional needs to come in, right? Just like right. you would refer a person with malaria to a doctor. You you see that they have fever. You see that it's lasted more than three days, and that means it's not some regular flu, right? That means they need some professional help. So gauging that is absolutely important. The second thing is also understanding what kind of nature of relationship do you share with this person, right? For example, let's say for parents, it may be better to share with someone that is of their age, because they will feel that other parents understand my concerns better than someone who is, let's say, for example, a twenty-five-year-old, right? So, although you may have the intention and you may have the emotional availability, and you may need this person should rant, but do they want to do that? Checking their consent is also important. right so you consent to it great but how much do they want to talk about it and even if they want to talk about it a lot of times what i see is for example if i share something with my friend i'm i want to share it today but next thursday if they follow up with me and ask me how am i doing i may not want that because that may bring a triggering event to my mind when i don't want to bring it up right i may want to rant about it once and forget it once and for all right so at the end of a conversation asking them that do you want me to follow up with you on this so right. checking with that and making sure again that while you do this actually checking in with yourself are you breathing well are you having enough water because emotional conversations do drain all of us even as a psychotherapist emotional conversations even drain me although i may have a skill set and expertise or i've developed some sort of um you know practice in in psychology it is still important that i take care of myself so usually therapy only lasts for 1 hour for this specific reason because after 1 hour my attention span and my client's attention span is going to be limited my body's capacity is going to be limited my client's body's capacity is going to be limited right so sort of checking in with you uh, and with the person that you're sharing with is that capacity half an hour for example typically like i said although cl- counseling sessions uh, last one hour with children they only last 30 to 40 minutes right because children's attention spans are completely different from adults attention spans so checking in with yourself do i want to talk about this topic for 3 hours in my day although i have intention or although i have the bandwidth right do i want to talk about this and uh what is my expectation at the end of the conversation do i expect this to be solved do i expect to be heard do we expect to be just you know empathized with right so making sure that you see for if for example if say two people come in with different needs then they may end up having a conflict but if two people are on the same page 
about which need uh, are they going to satisfy for each other then right. it's more likely that they will have a fruitful conversation and they will both end up feeling better at the end of it right for example if you ask me for a pencil and i offer you uh, a sketch pen when you want to make some rough notes although i'm offering you a device to write or a tool to write it's not fulfilling your need right so you're going to feel frustrated but i'm going to feel like hey i actually tried helping you why are you frustrated with me so making sure that you're on the same page with the other person as to what exactly do they want from you right um you know you mentioned something here about uh, the need for professional help uh, stepping in maybe you know this is a question that could have waited till the end but on that note what i want to ask you is on a on a on a more general note what i want to ask you is if for example uh, you know you had to address a stage and uh, in the crowd i tell you there are a hundred people who are looking for uh, help who are looking for professional help but who don't have access to one because let's say they can't find one or they can't afford one uh, on a general note what do you want uh, this crowd to be mindful of what 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 message would you want to give to this crowd that therapy is really accessible so i don't deny that free counseling services or sliding scale counseling services sliding scale usually means that for example if my typical charges are 1000 rupees in sliding scale i may offer 500 also right based on what does my client need and what can my client afford but also what can i still afford in terms of my expenses and my the needs of my livelihood of course right so individuals who there are therapists who offer sliding scales there are wonderful organizations who offer sliding scales and pro bono services so in pro bono services uh, you don't have to pay a penny right and sometimes there are organizations that get funding from multinational corporations or any other sources and they offer free services to most uh, clients that approach them right for example nazaria is one such organization that offers free counseling services to people who belong to the lgbtqia community so there are several organizations you may have to look through and it may be a search based on where you live based on uh what kind of a therapist you are looking at but it's possible so if you need your mental health need satisfied please go to the same go to any extent but please find the right therapist for you is what my request will be because you know for example if a person was dying with cancer you wouldn't say that no 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 it's okay stay at home you'll recover on your own right, right? a lot of people use this quote that says time heals but i don't necessarily agree with that because i understand that with time sometimes wounds can fester also sometimes the wounds get get more infected after right. some right. period of time so for people who need professional help please seek professional help and and do the best that you can right absolutely coming back to the previous question wherein we were discussing helping somebody out on a call now if i have the intention to do that while keeping my own mental well being in check if i want to help the person out do you think in some way i should limit myself in terms of how far i go uh, in helping the other person out and what do you think role my roles and responsibilities entail and what do you think is most important to keep my own mental health in check like i said 
So one thing I've usually noticed that happens with me when I am getting overwhelmed by a conversation is I may be breathing heavily or I may stop breathing. Or I can sense a little bit of frustration or impatience coming in. Like I may want to hang up the call, right? I can sense like there's almost like a sense of urgency that I want to do something. There may be a sense of restlessness. Now this feeling may look very different for different people. Uh, Some people may get annoyed. Some people may get frustrated. Some people may end up saying something mean or hurtful even when they don't want to. But that is their way of actually saying that actually I should have ended this call earlier. But because I stretched it so far, I'm ending up being mean to you, which was not my intention in the first place. Right? Right, Right. So making sure that you know your own triggers and you know your mind and body's responses. And as soon as you anticipate that, hey, my breathing is out of control, or hey, I'm feeling thirsty, or hey, I'm feeling something in my stomach. So noticing the kind of discomfort that you experience in different parts of your body and different parts of your mind, the kind of thoughts that are crossing your mind in that minute are absolutely important. So after every statement that the other individual uh, on the phone call or in front of you makes, take a minute to actually step back and think about, do I want to respond to this? Do I have the capacity to explain or answer or respond or make a statement right now? Right? Because again, like I said, that it's possible that at the first 10 statements, I'm going great. I may be uh, fully engaged. But at the 11th statement, the other person may say something that is triggering to me. Or that is, you know, that's suddenly making me think about something that is hurtful to me. And that is how the conversation usually leads to conflict even between or amongst well-intentioned people, right? right. So making sure that you know your triggers and you avoid those. The next very important thing that I want to highlight is a lot of times people ending up, end up playing a game called yes, but, right? For example, sometimes I may say to my friend that, uh, hey, I am feeling like I want to have ice cream. So they may say that, okay, why don't you end up, or why don't you order some from Swiggy? Usually you don't order uh, throughout the lockdown. You haven't ordered. So please order once. Make that small change this time. So I'll say, yeah, that's a great solution. But I am very scared that the person who delivers will have Corona. So they will say, okay, if you don't want to order from Swiggy, How about you do this thing that you make ice cream at home? Say, yes, that's a great idea, but I don't have milk at home. They'll say, okay, great, fine. If you don't have milk at home, do you think you can wait for three days? Because uh, I think in three days, the lockdown is going to end. And maybe then you can, you know, get out in the morning and get some ice cream. Said, yes, but I want to have it now. Right. So if you notice, here's a pattern that I am saying yes but I follow my yes immediately with a but and actually nullify every particular statement the other person is making right this other individual who's talking to me and trying to figure out how to deliver ice cream to my place they're offering so many creative solutions but all I keep saying is yes but yes but 
so essentially i don't want my problem solved essentially all i want is to rant about it right so making sure that that whoever you are talking to is not playing this game with you because this game can go on for months and ages and will end up making both of you frustrated because for someone who doesn't want the problem solved can continue talking about the problem even 6 years later right and i know that this sounds a little bit of an exaggeration and it is one but it is to highlight that it's very important to highlight that sometimes we like ranting as humans we like homeostasis that means we likes for example all of us have stayed inside during the lockdown for so many months now if someone asks me that there's an unlockdown and start going to office i'm going to hate it although there's a part of my body and part of my mind that is desperate to go out there's a part of my mind and body who doesn't who doesn't want to go back to train traveling right. at all right. right so we like we fall in love with our problems as well we start getting attached to pain yes. as so usually pain starts becoming pleasurable after a point of time because we become so familiar with pain when all we've known is pain then we don't want to let that pain go because that pain also becomes a source of receiving love receiving care receiving attention for example if i have had a fracture for 3 months and during those 3 months let's say if all my friends have been visiting me some of them have been sending me great dishes some of them have been checking up on me i'm going to love that right so after 3 months when someone is going to take away that uh that medical device that is attached to my hand or that plaster that is attached to my hand it's going to be about oh god i'm going to miss the friends attention that i was getting i'm going to miss my family checking up on me right so sometimes i may still say that no no abhi bhi mujhe bahut dukh raha hai right we end up saying that we are in physical pain that our body is in pain because that gives us a lot of emotional attention so that is why we end up playing this game called yes but because we want the other person to pay attention to us because they we want to be attended to rather than being solved or fixed in any way and and i really don't mean this as a bad thing right all humans need attention all humans need to be attended to so this attention seeking has a very bad connotation has a very bad stigma attached to it but it's a very normal need to have and it's a very valid need to have because as humans we are so social right so if you realize that whoever you are engaging with is playing yes but quickly understand that they need attention and they need care and they need uh, to be attended to and to be to be affectionate they need affection but they don't need a problem solved so let them have their problem say them okay wait for your ice cream forever but talk to them still talk to them about other things make sure that you give them a lot of positive uh, care and positive attention but don't like you started this conversation i love how you started this conversation and said that anonic asked about not labeling and not judging right so if you know that the person that you are engaging with needs attention and needs care don't call them and say hey you are attention seeking right because 
seeking for attention and seeking for care doesn't make you a bad person it makes you human okay so if anyone who's listening i hope is getting the right advice that this is not about calling people out and uh, saying that hey hey i heard a therapist on a podcast and she said that you're playing a game called yes but no this is about making sure that you conserve your resources and yet you help the person that you want to help this right now you know this feels so personal and i'm so glad you brought this up here we hope that the first part of our episode kept you engaged throughout and that we haven't triggered you in any way there's a lot of questions which are yet to be answered so stay tuned for part 2